happy that we finally get to do this. Ben, Ben Forda. You're fine. Hello there. Yes, it is I. Hello, Martha. <laughs> Hello there. So, uh, Ben, you and I work at the same company together. Mm-hmm. Never met up until a few months ago. Correct. And how long have you been at Adobe? Do I have to say? It's a long time. <laughs> it's probably probably old, probably longer than the age of some of your listeners. No. Um, I, I've, I've been at Adobe 24 years. This coming uh, February will be 25 years. No, and I'm glad you're saying this because I've been there, what, I don't know, 18, 19 years. And, you know, our paths haven't really crossed. I think you maybe right. you your name and I was super intimidated by you because because of that. It's like, you know, you hear these names. It's, you know, Adobe, ginormous company. And you're like, you know, this person will never talk to me, will never give me time of day. And here we are at eight o'clock in the morning and you're giving me time of day. And I asked you for a few minutes and honestly, I was just totally gravitated towards you. And I was in awe of you because you're just an ordinary person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Just an ordinary person. I, uh, I, I um, yes. And um, I don't think I'm intimidating. Sorry if it came across that way. I, um, I um, Yes, I've been here a long time. Get to meet a lot of people. But this also, as you know, is a very big company. I mean, it's 20,000 plus people uh, in lots of countries all over the world. And I'm a remote employee. So I've been in Adobe all these years, but I've been remote living in Michigan all that time. So I'm in the office, well, pre-COVID days. I was there once a month, nowadays even less. So there are lots of people. Yeah, we were at an education conference last week, and I bumped into a coworker who I talk to almost every single day. And she says to me, it's so nice to finally meet you in person. It didn't even occur to me we had never met in person. So, yeah, it's just it's, um, it's part of being remote, and it's part of being in a big company. But I am glad our paths finally did cross. Yes, they did. And the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, I, I told you a little bit about my story. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a zero generation, come from another country um, person. And you started telling me a little bit about your story. And I thought, wow. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I just want to tell everybody is get to know those people that you're kind of interested in just like a little bit more. And sometimes it starts by Maybe you telling them a little bit of your story and then they're like, well, can I tell you a little bit of my, my story? So that's kind of what brought us here because I was like, I, I want people to get to know Ben, Ben Forda. And anyways, this whole concept of just getting to know the people you work with is so inspiring. And your story was so inspiring. And I want people to know, Ben, where do you come from? Sure. I, I, I can briefly tell you my story. We can see how I see uh, I, if I go into too much detail or I go on funny, funny pages, it's not me. So uh, I, I grew up in the UK, as you can probably uh, pick up from my accent. I'm not I'm not a, not a native, although I, I am a citizen. I moved in many, many, many years ago. I've actually been living in the US longer than I lived in the UK at this point. Uh, but I grew up over there. I was kind of the odd kid. I was the kid in school who would get picked on because I was the nerd or the geek. Nowadays, geek is almost, almost a Bit of a badge of honor. It's kind of become almost cool to be a nerd nowadays because nerds make a lot of money. Um, but you know, they run the they run the companies and built the internet. But back in when I was at school, which is like thousands of years ago, being a nerd wasn't cool at all. Um, I was um, I I never did well in school. I, I honestly I struggled because I was sitting there in a classroom listening to these people much older than me lecture and tell me what to do, and I don't do very well with being told what to do. I like doing stuff myself, and so I basically sat in school um, for many many years and grew up in London doing absolutely a whole lot of nothing. Fortunately, I was a very scared, boring child. So um, I didn't get into all the trouble I probably could have or others would have got into, but I did nothing. What, what happened, though, is that um, 
I learned very early on that I like doing things. I like doing things my way. I like figuring things out myself. I'm much happier with a book or a screwdriver or something. Just I like tinkering. I like making. I like doing. I, I, and um, so that's how I got out of trouble. Uh, and that's how I kept myself busy. I mean, literally, the uh, this may sound funny, but um, you know, I grew up in, as I said, in London. So there, they don't play baseball. They play. They played. You know, uh, what they call their football, but here's called soccer. Um, I I couldn't I am the least athletic person on the planet. Um, you and I, I both. <laughs> uh, but uh, so my contribution to the school football team was I was the missing goalpost. I literally sat where the goal would be with my book to mark where it was, and every once in a while they would say duck, and I would move to the side so I don't get hit by the ball. And but that was it. And even that wasn't that exciting. I actually ended up being volunteering in school to be one of the librarians just so I should have a key to the library to lock myself in the room and not have to see other people and sit with books because I was happy that way. And so that's what I did. I spent most of my childhood by myself, reading, playing, uh, you know, trying to do things, learn things myself. But this is pre-internet days. If you want to learn things, there were these things called books. You know, they have spines and they have pictures and you turn them. Most people haven't seen very many of those nowadays. But, 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 but I, I learned early on that I love learning things and I love growing my knowledge, but on my terms. And so that's kind of what happened. And so I um, didn't do well at school at all. I was that, that kid who every year, parent-teacher conferences, they get the same line of, he has so much potential if he only would apply himself. Well, I am applying myself, just not, not on your terms, but, but as myself. And so I had to find my own path. Um, fortunately, you know, I grew up in a household that was supported that way. My parents were both teachers, but I was the oldest of eight kids. So there's not a lot of uh, attention for each one of us. But, you know, I had the luxury of sitting in a library, sitting in my room, you know, I, you know, taking things apart, trying to build things. Um, I literally gave myself electric shocks when I was a toddler because I was busy trying to mess around with things. My parents tell me I, I almost electrocuted myself when I was 18 months old. So I was always precocious that way, just trying to get and understand things. I love building things, I love inventing things. And then I discovered these wonderful things called computers. Now this is, computers then look nothing like computers nowadays. I was 10 or 11 at the time. My parents, my parents couldn't afford a computer. They were teachers. They barely got paid. So I used to go to the stores in London. There's a, a chain of electronic stores and at the back wall they had computers. And I was sent for hours after school just trying to figure out how to make these things work and teach myself coding. Uh, actually, and I, I learned coding without a computer. I learned coding literally the book. I read coding books. I used to sit down with pen and paper and write what a program would look like. And that weekend, to go to the store and try to type in my code and see if it worked. And sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. And I literally taught myself coding and understand how computers work by reading code and writing code and paper with barely having the chance to actually type it in. But it was exciting, right? It became an opportunity um, to... to uh, and control these machines, right? These these things that are very mythical and all quite understood what they were. And you give them a few instructions, they do all these magical things for you. And so um, uh, that's what I was doing. Lots and lots and lots of it, you know, for for uh, um, you know for years. I never had a computer. Actually, the first time, first machine I actually owned was probably ten years after I was really started coding. But along the way, something else interesting happened, and that was as much as I realized I enjoyed creating and doing these things, what I enjoyed even more was taking that excitement and enthusiasm about them and helping other people do that as well. So at a pretty young age, I actually discovered I like teaching. I like working with other people. I like, you know, the, my very first paid job that I recall was as a tutor and a substitute teacher when I was 15 years old, and I was doing that on the side, making some money. So I've always liked doing that. And so th those kind of uh, two interests, the tech and creativity and making and building things and then also inspiring other people to create and make and build things, whatever that may be, where those converge, that's my happy space. And so um, that's kind of what I've been doing in a variety of, of forms ever since. I mean, that's my role here at Adobe. It's my writing. Uh, it's why I started writing in the first place. It's why I still teach. I teach actually uh, at a local high school here in Michigan as well. 
and so yeah, I've taught coding to over a million people at this point. Um, and it was a happy coincidence that those two things that I get a lot of energy from happen to align. You just said a lot, and this is all beautiful because let's go back to you're a kid and um, you're bored to death, and you're getting you know your parents are in parent teacher conference and they're going this kid and he's not doing anything you know, um, and your parents were teachers. How did they take to that? How did they- so? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. That so. Um, Part of it is I think they understood me and they also understood the education system. And um, I think they realized early on that the problem was probably the teachers in the schools, not me. And so I think they loved the fact that I wasn't doing that well. But as long as I wasn't getting in trouble and I was being productive, whatever that means, um, I think they were okay with it. In retrospect, years later, actually, when I was, look, you can't tell a 10-year-old, you're right, your teacher's wrong. You just can't. But years later, when I'm in my 30s, they did acknowledge that we kind of knew that you were on a different path and that typical school didn't work so I think they realized that at being educated themselves and acknowledged that and as long as I was finding things that they deemed as a productive path in some way shape or form I think they were okay with it yeah because I'm sure the education the well the classes were all built for like one certain type of kid right the guy the kids that play soccer football whatever <laughs> right and you know here you are this other kid that's super interested in other things that were not even invented Right. And they were not even invented. So you were curious about this. And it's just interesting to me because you, you write books on coding. You're in a computer tech company. You did it all before you even had any of that. How did you even pick up a book, get interested at 14 years old? Look, I love knowledge. I love knowing things. I, I, I always have. You know, my, my kids hate playing Trivial Pursuit with me because I, 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 collect, I collect random facts about stuff. I just love stuff. I'm addicted to knowledge. I'm addicted to world information, to politics. and to, you know, I, I read a ton. I mean, you see all these books behind me and my yes. camera over here. Um, I, I, I love books. That's my happy place. Um, so I, that's always been the case. But I, I like learning on my terms. I like picking a subject I want, researching it myself, learning myself. I don't do very well being lectured at, I kind of tune out. I, I, I probably, if I was in school nowadays, I'd probably be diagnosed with ADD and put on meds or something because mm-hmm. I, I just can't, you know, I listen to someone talk in two minutes, I'm, ooh, I'm in la la land, I'm in my little dreams and do my own thing. Um, so I'm much happier doing it myself on my own terms. You know, I love things that make sense. I love understanding how things work. I love, you know, sciences and technology. And, and I didn't learn this stuff. In, in, I mean, it, it, you're right, some of this wasn't invented yet, but the school also wasn't particularly good in what nowadays we call STEM. You know, I remember when the space shuttle program is first being ramped up, trying to find every bit of information and books on what these machines are and how they work and who built them and what they're for. I, I love this stuff. I love tech and I love the, uh, that space. But yes, you know, I, as I said, I was writing code before coding was cool. I didn't even have a computer, but it made sense to me. Machines just made sense. Like I understood what they're doing. When, you know, when a program does something or I'm using my device and Android or whatever it is, and, and it think, I kind of instinctively know what's happening under the hood and why and what it's doing because it just feels very natural to me. And part of it is just I've always loved that stuff. But I, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, look, it's a form of creativity. To, to, to making machines do magical things, to me, is just as creative as cooking, playing music, shooting videos, making a TikTok. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a way to get your voice out there and do stuff, and I love that. And I can feel, like, your, your creativity juices, just, like, as you're talking about this. Like, that excites you. And I think that finding that like excitement in every kid. Like I can just imagine you as a little kid and finding these coding books and figuring out how things work, just like made everything like bright and light and filled you up. 
it, it, it is. And I see that with kids that I teach. I mean, so I, as I said, I teach in high school as well, in addition to my, my Adobe job. And, you know, there are kids who've never done coding in their lives. And, you know, I, I meet them a few times a week or a few years. And several of them literally have gone to college. Some, one of them, one kid who I started working with a few years ago, he was in my class for four years in high school. And we just met a couple of times a week for four years. He's in college now, and his dad just told me that he's working for an Amazon affiliate on the side doing coding for them. And this guy had never touched any coding at all. So, yeah, this is a kid who didn't even know he loves this stuff and found a passion for it. So it's uh, it also, by the way, pays really, really well. It's, 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 a, it's a very, 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 it's a very, very lucrative field. But that aside, it's a whole lot of fun. You know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of all kids being taught basic coding, uh, not because I think all seven billion people on the planet need to be coders. That would be very, very bad. Like we don't need we need seven billion coders like we need seven billion of any single thing, right? You need lots of different skills to make a happy, diverse society. But there's a form of thinking and problem solving and creative process that you get by problem solving. And whether it's trying to figure out how to shoot this video in the right angle so your TikTok goes viral, or whether it's trying to 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 cook something or or draw a picture or sketch or whatever it is taking big problems and breaking them into small problems and understanding what to do to make something that people want is very, very gratifying. And so that, that's, that's a, a skill that every child needs to be exposed to. How early do you think kids should start learning this stuff? As early as they're interested. I mean, I, I, de- definitely, by, definitely by seven, eight, nine, they are more than capable of doing it already. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fascinating because to me, the word coding, and I'm a marketer, you know, I'm like, hey, let's go have a party and hang out and you know, do all of that and have a good time. But, you know, it's very intimidating. And I, I have to tell you, it feels very hard. Like, it feels like a lot of math. And But the way that you're putting it, it's like, it could be fun. It's just the curiosity in how you do things and then learning this language that's going to allow it to do that. Is that? Yeah. So, 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 so uh, you made one interesting comment, Martha, which I hear often, is that it needs so much math, and I don't, you know, math scares people. So first of all, there isn't that much math. It, but it depends what kind. There are some types of coding you're doing. Like it, so the guys at Adobe who build these complex Photoshop things that do crazy stuff with graphics, yeah, there's a lot of math in those. But, you know, building, building websites, building games, building just fun little stuff in code, there isn't that much math. For no, more, no more math than you would do every day trying to figure out how much something costs in a store, really. It's, there's not a lot of math in there. Is it hard? It depends what you want to do. It's like anything else. It should be fun. And if, and if, it, if it feels like work, then it's being taught incorrectly. Yeah. But, but then again, I feel the same about everything. If you're if English, reading, science, math, history, if any of those things feel hard in school, then that's not the student's problem. It's the teacher's problem. It's being taught badly, right? The, these subjects should be fun and engaging, and they're place, times for exploration. And teaching code properly should be fun. Now, it's not for everybody. Some may say, I've tried it. I get it. Not for me. That's perfectly fine. But it shouldn't. Look, I don't want to dismiss the hard work coders do. When people, There are people who dedicate their lives and do very, solve very complex problems with coding. Yes, you can grow into that. But casual coding is not hard. It should be fun. It should be easy. Um, and it should be, it should be fun. I mean, I, I, my most recent book, I did this. I wrote a book last, in the last year uh, together with my son. The entire book is for teenagers. And the purpose of it is to teach coding by writing silly little games. So you start off with a, a number guessing game, then get to like a tic-tac-toe type game, and then to a, an actual text puzzle, then an actual full racing car game. And this is doable. Anyone could do this. This is not complicated. Well, listen, when I was in school, I was, you know, I, I had a lot of energy and I, I was very disengaged. And I think it's because of that. I was bored. 
you know, I was bored and, you know, a bunch of other ones. But the teachers that made it interesting and fun, I paid attention to them. So I'm glad you're writing these. Um, how many books have you written, Ben? Uh, 40 plus. Oh, so you write one like every three days or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I Right now I'm doing one or two a year at this point. That's amazing. And are they all on coding? Uh, most. Um, I did a, a couple that are for teachers, more around ways to think about re- rethinking the classroom. Yeah. Uh, but the vast majority of coding, yes. This book that you wrote with your son, how how cool is that, by the way? That was a, that's a ton of fun. So you know, he's a he's a he's a, an interesting young man. He's an educator himself. He's also a software engineer um, and an engineer. He loves teaching, um, and so you know, he uh, we took his experience of teaching and my experience of teaching and balanced our ideas off each other and did this book together, trying to take envision what it would look like if we created our ideal classroom of how we would teach kids to code. Um, and the book has been very, very, uh, um, it, it's, it's gotten very positive feedback. There are lots of teachers who are actually using it in their classroom right now. Um, so that's, that was a ton of fun. That was, that was you know, um, about half of my books I've written with co-authors, the other half myself. I generally don't like writing with co-authors. I'd just much rather do it myself. It seems easier and get the job done. But this was actually a very fun experience writing a book for my son. That was enjoyable. You said... If you had your ideal classroom, you know, sometimes you just have to take matters in your own hand, Ben. Like you're like, I'm going to do it my, like you said, that's kind of your style. You're going to do it your way. And and you did. If you had your ideal classroom, what would this look like? And you just kind of put, you put it in code, you put it in a book and it's there for people. What's the name of that book? Uh, It's called Captain Code. Captain Code. The, the, the idea is that everybody who wants to develop their coding superpower can do so. You, you can become Captain Code. Um, like, but yeah, it really, it really is uh, our attempt to try and, and capture a classroom experience in a book. And the truth is, I mean, even beyond this book, that's how I write. Um, you know, so I've written, for example, books on databases. Most of my books are around working with data on databases. And when I write, I literally am imagining if I was teaching, what do I teach in what order? And if I had a student there and he raised his hand and said, I got a question, what would that question be? And then when I had my little notes and call outs on the side, that's where I anticipate or expect this would be a question of how I would answer it. And so all of my writing tends to be very informal, very casual, very conversational with a focus on doing. There's no lectures. There's no theory. There's no complex. It's just get your hands in there and do stuff as quickly as possible and tinker and learn and break and figure out as you go. Um, and it's always very much how I would teach is it's just, it's, it's uh, you know, the way I see it, I would love to have a classroom with a million students. That isn't practical. So instead I'll bring the classroom to a million students in the form of books. That's so beautiful. So you're teaching for the, the young Ben Forda in the classroom that was not paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's a fun little thing, you know, life comes full circle. I was in the, uh, uh, the cafeteria at Adobe once upon a time. Remember, Remember pre-COVID days, we used to meet in the cafeteria? Yes. So, so I was in the cafeteria in, in 601, which is obviously that's our, on our San Francisco campus. And I had somebody who, uh, um, who I know who works for Adobe, who's on another product team, come up to me and say, so I, I'm working on the product right now and I bought a book. And then I realized I had your name on the cover. Right. So it's just, life comes full circle. And it's, it's very fun when that happens. Well, I think that's the fun thing about life. When, it, when you can, like, it, it makes sense and it all comes for a circle. And now you're writing for a million Ben Fordas out there because they are out there. There's so many different personalities. Look, I have two different kids, two, same mama, you know, two different kids, individuals, right? Yeah. Writing for these specific people that or kids that just need something different is thank you ben for doing that yeah oh, my pleasure I, I love it you know and it's um there's a local school here where they invite me in a few times a year and i teach a i teach a math class to, to seven and eight year olds uh, seven and eight graders 
And the reason they asked me to do it is it was a conversation I was having with a math teacher who was just, it was actually what my kids were in the school. And she was telling me about how they teach. And I was kind of groaning, like, seriously, that's how you're teaching it. That's how they taught me decades ago. And it didn't work. Why well, I think it's going to work now. And I challenged, I said, you've got to make math real. It's got to be, it's got to be something you can feel with your hands, something tangible, something relatable. So it shouldn't be myth, you know, mystical, esoteric. And she said, well, how do you do that? You have to learn these things. I said, let me in the classroom. And I, I did. And these kids were blown away by just the, you know, the things you can do that, 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 that are, are, are atypical mathematics. Um, and so um, it worked. So I, I go into the school a few times a year and I, I teach a math class that is a different way to think about math. You know, we look at, I bring a, a drone into the room and we fly it. And we say, okay, great. This drone is doing interesting things. It's hovering like that. How does it do that, right? So we create a sensor. And the sensor, I show them how sensors work to measure your height. What, what math is involved in that? It's actually very simple math. It's simple division, very simple. It has to happen multiple times. How does that work? Okay, now you make it crash. It stops. What's involved with that? Or we bring in a GPS. How does it coordinate? And it's just taking things that kids use every day and don't even realize. It's just basic math driving all this stuff. And so we have this conversation and we play with it and do it. And suddenly light bulbs go off. Really? Okay, so these funny formulas we learned and you know, understanding angles in a triangle, it actually makes sense. That's how a GPS works. It's very simple. A GPS is a simple clock doing very simple geometry. And we, we talk about these things and suddenly these things become understandable and relatable. So that's really what I've always wanted to do is just get people demystify things. I, I love simplifying things. I get incredible pleasure out of taking things that seem very complicated and making them suddenly feel very simple and relatable. And if I can express that, then everything becomes simpler and easier. I, I love this way of thinking because I think sometimes we overcomplicate complicate everything. I mean, I'll just have to tell you, you know, it, 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 at my work in, in at Adobe, you know, you, you people have big titles, right? And you, you overcomplicate how how much people maybe won't talk to you, aka baby Ben Florida won't talk to me, whatever it is. And we overcomplicate how we need to be at work. Okay, at work. And I'm like, why do we need to overcomplicate it? You know, Ben's an amazing human, like every other human, you know, at Adobe. And it's like, let's just talk. We're just human. Let's not overcomplicate working together and learning yep. about each other. And it takes just a simple, like right now, my setup for my computer I never have done it before, you know, um, prior to like a year or two ago. It doesn't have to be complicated to do things. And I, I feel like people, I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling, but I feel like um, sometimes we overcomplicate how we need to work together, how maybe organizations are, you know, how um, how much maybe effort and work and blah, blah, blah it takes to be at a certain place like Adobe. Like for me, you know, I came into Adobe kind of unconventionally, you know, into tech and it was not, it wasn't complicated with good people that talk to you. It's not complicated. And you were telling me one thing about, I think we were talking about your college experience and you're like, I sucked at school or whatever, you know, I was uh, school. They didn't teach me right. And and what was your college experience? Because, you know, in tech, People are like, oh, you need to have this degree, this degree, that degree, that degree, and all that. People think this, you know, especially first-generation folks. We think we need to have all the check marks. Yeah, so uh, that's a really interesting point, Martha. So, you know, there's a local school in Detroit that I visit several times a year to chat with the the seniors, 12th graders, about just jobs in tech and career and so on. They ask me that question always. It's more than 
what degree is, which college do I have to go to to get yeah. hired? And the, the answer is... Formula. Uh, What's the formula been? What's the Here's the thing I would say. Uh, so first of all, for, for myself, uh, actually, my, my uh, college career had nothing to do with tech. I was on the theology track. Uh, and um, I did it for several years. Then tech seemed more interesting. And I never finished it. I never, I never graduated college. I, I, I started uh, coding and, and getting clients and doing things and built my career. And suddenly, I had a brand that was and, and, and a presence that was that gave me more credibility than a degree would have. The uh, here's what I say about about higher education, particularly when it comes to tech. First of all, some of the best coders I've met did not study coding in school. Right? They are look, but even in Adobe, some of our best coders are. English language majors, they're history majors, they've done other sciences, they've done math. Uh, our elder son um, is a, uh, a developer for Google, and yeah, his, his, he went to school for math and physics. He didn't learn coding in, in school, but Google hired him as a coder. So there are lots of ways to get there. So what you study, I think, is less important than the fact that you study and show that you have the ability to attain knowledge and put the effort in and, and really show that you are committed to broadening your, your understanding and skills and interactions and so on. That, that's more important, number one. Number two, of all the possible fields out there, the one where your higher education is probably the least important is going to be coding. And more and more we're seeing that. Google, for example, has recently said that they are not even going to ask on, re on resumes how many of you went to school. They don't care. What they want to see is what you can do, right? They, they've now offered a, a certification program where you can go online. It's very inexpensive. Run through some courses, show your work. Get a certificate, and that certificate is good enough to be hired at Google and 3M and several other companies already, and more joining on board. Right now, this obviously wouldn't work for a doctor. I wouldn't want a surgeon who is self-taught. That would be kind of scary, right? And probably lawyers need to go to school as well. But of all the possible careers out there, coding and tech is one where, and actually, it's true of all creative fields, probably actually, because uh, design and arts the same thing. Your portfolio, what you have done, is far more important than what school you went to. So you know, when I, when I tell 12th graders and college students are start building your portfolio. Like literally, find you know, a, a relative uh, store that what business that needs a little website or a local church or organization you're involved in that you can do as make ads and flies to them and so on. Start and start building your brand. Just start learning it. So just do it. Build a site. Build a game. Build an app. Build something. It's not hard to do. Start building your portfolio and then look at what. Uh, yes, and higher education is still extremely important because it does give you. Discipline gives you the ability to coalesce complex information, to work with other people. Those are all important skills. But here's what you need to know. If you're applying for a job at Adobe or Amazon, Facebook, or any of those guys, you're going to be one of a gazillion set of resumes that come in. What sets you apart isn't going to be that you went to college, because guess what? Every single other person in that resume list went to college. What's going to set you apart is who you are, the story you can tell, your portfolio, your work. Not the same thing 12 other people did, right? Because the school assignments, every student does the same, same bit of work. That doesn't, that's not a differentiator. Right. But showing what you've done based on your experience, your background, your neighborhood, your family, and you've built something that is a website or, or, or an app or some, something that is uniquely yours and tells your story, they're seeing you do real work. This is real. And that will speak louder than any, anything else in your resume. And the two combined, saying that I have the discipline that comes with education, plus I've done something, is far more important and far more useful than what exact college you went to and what grades you got. That's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things more and more in the tech space. And this is why the likes of Google and others really, they publicly said, we're not even making 
college degrees a requirement for coding because the fact that you learned coding in four years doesn't make you as good a coder as the person who school of hard knocks learned it and actually really built something substantive. Oh, and by, and by the way, let me just add to that one last point. Yeah. Just, just to make this a little bit more interesting, in the US right now, the average starting salary for a coder, starting salary is between high 60,000s to low 110s, but the average across the country now for a starting coder is in the 80,000 range, right? That's a, that's a starting. very starting. That's a very, very good starting salary. Wasn't that way when I started? And then you, go, you know, drill down into big data and other areas that are in demand, it's even higher than that. So it is possible to, to do something big that is meaningful and will have an impact on the planet and humanity and everybody else and feel really good about yourself and have fun doing it. I just love everything you just said. I mean, it, I hope that everybody listening, you know, listens to Ben. This is like life wisdom, Ben. Life wisdom. I think a lot of times, you know, we get caught up in the, like you said, all the check marks. Well, everybody has check marks. You know, what sets us, sets us apart? And even as I look at my career, it's like, I, I, you know, I didn't have all the check marks, but I had all this other, like, I literally came in with a portfolio of stuff that I've done. And that's what set me apart. And I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it, you can feel that you can feel that and so if a kid is interviewing they're going to want to feel that difference in that kid right then and there across the table yeah and, and Martha, this is this, this applies to more just coding right this is actually true of, of a lot of, of the life. creative fields yeah right so again if you want to be a if you want to be a cpa a lawyer yeah. or a surgeon you're going to have to go to school the more traditional routes but on the on the fields that allow a bit more creativity and self-expression you know the if somebody is building a graphic design business they want to they want to do videography they want to you know build, help build brands social media and influencers right the traditional go to college track isn't going to be the one that gets you there. Those will be are great because they, again, give you the discipline, you learn how to acquire knowledge, and, and there are some fundamental skills you develop. But what's going to always be more important is a portfolio. And so, you know, this school I was mentioning that I go to um, uh, in, in Detroit, I was talking to a student. He actually emailed me just now, and he, he said that he's, you know, signing up for classes uh, around uh, video and illustration of photography this summer because he wants to pursue that as a career, even though it's not, nothing's ever done before. And great. So for a 12th grader to actually starting to go and do shooting thing, shooting photography and start building a portfolio, that's perfect, right? That's going to get you in. You know, if you go to a client or, or a job interview and you want to do graphic design or website design, I promise you they're not going to say, uh-huh, and what school did you go to? What were your grades and what were your GPA? The first thing they're going to ask for is, show me your work. Yeah. Show me your portfolio is the very first question. That's what will get you in the door. You know, this is why we built a, a site like Behance, right? Which is all about publishing your portfolio. In creative fields like this, around coding, around design, around experience design, all of those, it is portfolio first. It leads with what work am I doing? That's what's going to get you noticed. And that anyone can do. And especially as if it's uniquely yours, right? The, look, a company like ours, like Adobe and like, Microsoft, Google, they, what they're not looking for, they're hiring hundreds of people all the time now. They're not looking for a thousand more of the exact same person I already have. That doesn't benefit them in any way, shape, or form. They're looking for different. They're looking for people with different backgrounds, different skill sets from ones that they may not have thought about. And it's not just because they want to check a diversity checkbox. It's because that truly, if you want to create solutions and, and products and platforms that solve problems for all of humanity, 
you have to have all of humanity represented in designing things for the problems. Otherwise, you know, so, so for people who have come from the atypical backgrounds and who've really worked and built this presence, they're actually at an advantage in doing this because they are wanted and they are in demand. They're needed. And if they can show I have the creative skills and I have the commitment to really, you know, put the effort in, they will succeed. There, there is a huge demands and the opportunities all this. This is so beautiful because, you know, the misconception is, especially kind of in underserved communities, right, that we can't go to those colleges that we think we need to go to. If we start building those portfolios early on, we actually might have a chance. I would rephrase that. It's not you might have a chance. If you build your portfolio, you do have a chance. Okay, so for everybody listening, build your portfolio. And it's yes, absolutely. And, and by the way, I tell my kids this, you know, so I'm, I'm, my kids are in college and they are doing that traditional route, but on the side, I push them to build a portfolio. You know, I've, got, I've got a son in architecture school and he's building a portfolio. And, you know, you've got to do these things on the side. It's the, what will differentiate you is what is uniquely you, not what you did in school. And, and it, it, you, that's invaluable. One of the things that really attracted me to keep talking to you, Ben, was, you know, you and I come from totally different worlds. Okay. But we did things differently, and we did them our way. And, and here we are at Adobe together. You know, you built your portfolio. I built my portfolio, too. And we're in this creative world. It's possible. And that's what I wanted to show and talk to you about is, is that it is possible to own your own self. You know, we, we get excited about what we're doing every day. And it could be done in a ton of different ways. And there's people out there that want you that want you, you know, that want your talent. And it doesn't have to be a straight shot up. Yep. I, that, I, you, I think you, you said it exactly correct. That, 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 that is what it is. I think there are too many people who have been led to believe that their background and their circumstances are a negative and a hindrance. And I think often, if they took the time to think about it, they would realize that they're, they're, that hindrance actually makes them unique and they have a unique story to tell that makes them incredibly desirable and valuable. They just have to know how to tell the story. And the portfolio is how you tell the story. And what we're trying to do is help people know how to tell that story to understand the value they will bring. The portfolio is how you tell the story and how you could possibly break the cycle of poverty for some folks. Absolutely. I mean, you Absolutely. just said, you know, average is $80,000, uh, where in my community, you know, average pay a year is 20000 30000 I mean, yeah. you could get paid two, three times the amount of your family members yeah. you know, by learning this one little thing, building games and, you know, flying drones and having yeah. a good time out there. I don't, I, I, and I'm not going to, I don't want to leave people down the rosy path. I, I, I'm not going to tell you that if you, you know, buy one book and tinker for a few hours here or there, suddenly you're going to make 80K. But, but it'll put you on the path to, to, sit, to, to say, this is something I can do. And you'll find a path that's yours. And, I, and everyone I talk to, I urge you, don't try to be somebody else. Don't model your ladder to success on somebody else's. You are an individual. Uh, there's no one else like you out there. There's something about you and, and the circumstances that you grew up in and your life experiences that made you who you are Embrace that and use it to your advantage and find a way to tell that story and make sure they understand why you are valuable. And if you can tell that story, the organizations will want you. Why you are valuable as you to others. And I think that is, that's a big question. And I think that that's something we all have to work to discover and get very comfortable with us so that when we're 
interviewing and trying to sell ourselves against the 7,000 other applicants that are out there, you know, going for the same job, you stand out. And I, I love that you said, and we brought it back actually to Adobe is uh, that whole creative expression and, you know, it's, it's available to everybody and it is possible. I, I just love that you said, just be completely you, just own you, be you. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Ben, is there any advice out there for people who think, you know, maybe they could never be at a place like Adobe or other companies um, like it? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, um, that's a good question. So it, it's funny. I was asked the exact same question by a, a 12th grader recently here in Detroit who said to me, and the, the way she worded it is, she said, Does, will Adobe hire people like me? Yeah. And what she was saying is, is somebody who is, she was minority, she's black, female, come from a rough socioeconomic background, will a tech company that hire someone like me? And I looked at her and I said, would we? I said, we would love to. Yeah. The, she said, well, I look at your, your, who you have and who the employees are there and the websites, and it seems to be mostly white and mostly male. And my response was, that's not because we want it. It's because we have a hard time getting applicants. Like, please come sign up. You've got to, it'll be easier for you. So my, the, the short answer is this. It's easy to be cynical of companies that say they want diverse employees. Right? It's, they're just saying it because it's very trendy and contemporary. And if you don't do it, you're not a cool company. That is not the case. And maybe it is someplace. It's definitely not where we are. Right? Where we work, we know it's not the case. The companies who really, who, whose job it is to create products for diverse audiences need diverse employees. You can't succeed without it. And they're desperate for them. And so for those who are wondering whether there's a place for them at places like Adobe, and by the way, you know, I have contacts at, at Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and it's the same there as well. It's not, this is not unique to Adobe. For those who worry that there's no place for them, I, I can promise you there is, and that you are desperately wanted, right? These is, it's, um, uh, as I said before, it's not, we don't need lots more of the same. We need a diverse set of backgrounds to be able to do our job properly. And so for, for the, uh, those who traditionally have felt perhaps marginalized, perhaps not part of the discussion, don't realize how valuable they actually are. And I would strongly encourage them to just try, jump in. Just It doesn't have to be coding. It could be design. It could be just pick what works for you, tinker, find something you can be passionate about. Um, and you have to be passionate about it. It, it. So here's the other thing I'll add. Uh, and I'm going off on tangents. I apologize. I, should, I get excited and I run all over the place. If you are only going to learn coding only because of the dollar sign at the end of the, end of the, of the tunnel, you're probably not going to be that good at it. And so maybe it's not for you. Maybe it is. But whatever it is you do, it has to be something that you care about, something you believe in, something you're passionate about, and, and you want to make a difference about. Because that will come across, right? When you get an interview and you talk to somebody, with, I've interviewed hundreds of people in my time, and I'm sure you have as well, right? You know in half a second whether the person is there because they want the paycheck or whether they're there because this is something they really care about. And by the way, it's also a good paycheck, right? They go, and if you get that, when those two go together, that's magic. So I, I would say, try it out. Try coding. You may decide you love it. You may decide you hate it. If you hate it, that's fine. There are other things you can do. Try design, try graphics, try, try media, try, whatever it is, find something, care about it enough that you want to do it, that you want to build your portfolio and stuff, and then build a career out of it. And if you can combine genuine passion with proof of your work in a portfolio with your unique experiences, that, that, that trifecta, those three together, like make a Venn diagram, passion, my unique experiences and the skills. If you fit that little happy place in the middle, you got it made. You will get a job. Yes. Thank you, Ben, for saying this, because one of the, look, I'm talking to you before I start my work day. I'm getting paid zero to do this. 
And I'm very passionate about just showing a different side of tech. You know this. I come from a farm, underserved, you know, I'm, I'm brown, like, you know, it's all kinds of different obstacles thrown at me my whole life. You come from a different country. You you grew up, a, a, you know, a certain kind of kid that maybe, you know, for some might have um, ignored. And anyways, it, it, it's like we, we both have these kind of unique paths. And here we are. And I'm passionate to show others that there, we can be different. We can be unique, but you own it. You own it, Ben Forda. I own me too. And I hope that that shines through that we are two different people that we yep. just went for it. We just went yep. for it. And here we are. Yep. Never apologize for who you are. Yes. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm so. not sorry. I'm not sorry, Ben. And you're not sorry. And I'm so no. glad that you gave me time of day. I'm so glad to know you. And I can't wait for people to hear you and all the wonderful wisdom that you talked to us about. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting. Yes, no problem. And big heart. And thanks everybody for listening. And hey, just Google Ben Forda. You'll find him. (laughs) And his 40 books, right? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks everybody. And thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Good talk. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm reflecting back on my conversation with Ben Forda. So this part of this recording has been added after I talked to him in the morning and now it's like 13, 14 hours later and I can't stop thinking about it. I mean, people like him are, are diamonds. I've been working with a diamond at Adobe and I didn't know it. You know, we, we were different departments, that kind of thing. And it's a ginormous company, but if you are interested or curious about somebody or something, you know, that other people are doing at work, you know, just reach out. You just never know who might say yes. Ben said yes to me and we have learned so much. I mean, what I really love about him is he just keeps telling me, just be unapologetically you. And he has told us that. And I hope that that comes in loud and clear be unapologetically you do things with passion start building your portfolio start start showing why you are different because there are many many like 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 people out there and we really need to express our differences that is really what sets us apart because you know if we wanted to hire or be around same people all day long we'll find those but what really makes a difference is those folks that are at something unique and different. Our experiences, our backgrounds, our projects, whatever that might be. So thank you, Ben Forda, for joining me this morning. I am still in awe of everything. And I have to tell you, you are one of my mentors now. And I am so glad that you said yes to me. And thank you for all the information you've given us. Anyways, peace and love, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Adios. This is Moments with Martha. Peace and love, everyone. Adios. Peace.